وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِظُونَ And those who, whom they are, لِفُرُوجِهِمْ For their private parts, حَافِظُونَ They guard. Ones who guard. فُرُوج is a plural of فَرَج. Private part. And حَافِظُونَ Ones who guard. Those who do حِفْظ. What is حِفْظ? To preserve, protect something. When do you have to preserve and protect something? Look after it. It's precious, alright? When you fear losing it. Hmm? Let me give you an example. Two people in the house. One is a three-month-old baby. And one is a 30-year-old adult. Who needs to be looked after? The three-month-old. And if as a wife, you're looking after your husband as if he was a child, you're doing it wrong. He's not a kid. He's not your baby. Many women say, Oh, the first baby, the husband, he's not your baby. Don't look at him as a baby. I've heard this from way too many women. And I hate to hear this. Your husband is not your child. Stop treating him like a child. Treat him like a man. Anyway, that was a side point. (laughs) But something I'm too passionate about because I hate it. Don't view your husband like as if he's a baby. He needs to be babied all the time. He's an adult. You didn't inherit that child from your mother-in-law. Okay? He is a child to your mother-in-law, but to you he's not a child. He's your husband. So give him the respect that a husband deserves. Speak to him like you speak to a man. Someone responsible. Give him the responsibility that he deserves in the position of being a husband so he can act like a husband. He can practice the authority that Allah has given him. He can look after his flock. He needs to. Anyway, again. So, three-month-old child needs to be looked after, right? Why? It's weak. And it has needs. Like for example, a three-month-old child needs to be fed. And if it's not fed, the baby is hungry, what is he going to do? Cry and scream. Correct? So, the child needs to be protected, looked after. Because there is a potential of being in danger. Likewise, the private parts, they need to be guarded attentively. We cannot take this matter lightly. People who are successful, they guard their private parts. What does it mean? They guard their private parts from that which is haram. That which Allah has not made lawful. Which means that if the private part has an urge to do something unlawful, then that is where you need to guard it and protect it. You need to stop it. Just like a six-month-old child, rolling, rolling, rolling on the bed. What do you need to do? Protect it. Just because he's enjoying rolling, doesn't mean you let him roll off the bed. You don't let him do that. So just like that, if a person has a sexual urge that is unlawful, don't say, it's natural. No. Guard it. You have to guard it. You have to preserve it. You have to look after it. And before you can guard it, acknowledge it. Because unfortunately in our families, in our cultures, these things are not even acknowledged. You know, 20-year-old daughter? No, 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 no. She has a sexual desire. She wants to be married. Don't talk about it. This is not possible. And we compare 20-year-old girls of today with 20-year-old girls 50 years ago. 
And we say things like, oh, 20-year-old, at that time perhaps didn't even know anything. And you guys know too much. Well, we live in this world. So acknowledge the fact that the private part can have urges. It does. And it's the parents who need to acknowledge this as well. Unfortunately, marriages are made impossible. Yani, completely impossible. Because first of all, we're looking for, we're waiting for Prince Charming in every way. Handsome, successful, uh, well-educated, no loan, willing to pay off my loan, and uh, you know, living independently, and all those things. And if we cannot find it, one after the other, reject, reject, reject. Hmm? Or the parents make difficulties. Think about it. If your child is hungry, they need food. Would you deprive them of food? Would you deprive them of food? No. And if as a mother, you deprive your child of good food, you are zalim. You are unfair. And if as a parent, you are preventing your child from performing a marriage that is halal, you are also doing zulm. This is zulm. This is injustice. You know, I say this very proudly. I got married when I was 19. And my husband was 21. People would look at us as if, are you crazy? He's still in school? You're living with your parents-in-law? In one bedroom? Seriously? He doesn't have a job? He's still in school? You're in school? What's going on? How are you going to live? How are you going to survive? And I can say I had the best time of my life with my husband all these years, alhamdulillah. And I don't regret it. I don't regret it wondering if I can buy this dress myself or should I ask my mom or should I ask my mother-in-law. Yes, I've been through those times. I can't ask my husband. He's studying, he's in school. The little money that he makes with a part-time job, he has to, you know, work on things. And I would wonder, I want this dress, should I buy it? Should I ask my mom to buy this for me? Should I ask my mother-in-law to buy this for me? What should I do? I've been through that. And I've seen many things that I've wanted and I've not bought them because I couldn't. But alhamdulillah, I had a best friend by my side. And I think it was worth it. So what if you have to live through years of financial hardship for some time and you feel like you're dependent on others? So what? Khair. Allah will put barakah. And those who go through hardship, alhamdulillah, they learn something. Hardship is a part of life. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِظُونَ We tell children, we tell our young adults not to do zina, keep away from zina. Whereas we forget the fact that these desires, urges are natural, they're normal. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِظُونَ And what is haram? What is haram that they guard their private parts from? Haram is what? Because we have to know what is unlawful as well, right? Zina, of course, that is unlawful. What else is unlawful? Homosexual relations. A person may have an urge. And that's fine. An urge is there. But, a person has to stop. Why? Because Allah has not allowed that. Likewise, according to majority of the scholars, even masturbation, that is also unlawful. The urge is there. But a person has to stop. 
وَالَّذِينَهُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِظُونَ إِلَّا except عَلَىٰ أَزْوَاجِهِمْ Except from their spouses, from their wives. Meaning, they don't guard their private parts from their wives. So a husband doesn't need to guard his private part from his wife, nor does a wife have to guard her private part from her husband. No. إِلَّا عَلَىٰ أَزْوَاجِهِمْ أَوْ مَا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُهُمْ Or that which their right hands possess. What does that refer to? In particular, it refers to slave women, not a slave man. Okay? فَإِنَّهُمْ So indeed, they غَيْرُ مَلُومِينَ غَيْرُ not malumin wants to be blamed. Malumin is the plural of malum. From the root letters lam, wow, meem, laum. What is laum? To blame. To report someone for a wrong action. So in other words, if they're having sexual relations with their wife, there's nothing wrong about it. Don't criticize them for this. Don't make fun of them for this. They're not blameworthy for doing this. Because if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made this halal for these two people, then who are we to criticize? Because unfortunately, even these things are picked on. You know, for instance, people are told, did you shower today? What's that got to do with you? Why are you making someone feel embarrassed because of having relations with their spouse? This is also a kind of injustice. And this is something that we don't need to interfere in. Because unfortunately within families also, these conversations happen. People are put in awkward situations. They have to answer awkward questions. Irrelevant. مِنْ حُسْنِ الْإِسْلَامِ الْمَرْئِ تَرْكُهُ مَا لَا يَعْنِيهِ Literally I've heard things like people complaining that people ask me, I didn't hear the shower today. Everything okay? A family member asked, who are we to ask a question like this? Let's stop prying into affairs of other people. You know once the Prophet ﷺ called a man. He asked that man, and this hadith is in Bukhari. And that man, he was in his house. Somebody must have come and you know, houses of those times, somebody talks outside, you hear inside. So that man, he came. And it's as if he came in a rush and water was dripping from his head. And the Prophet ﷺ said, it seems as if we rushed you. That perhaps you were with your family. Yani you didn't have to come so quickly. Because the water was still dripping from his head. As if he had literally poured the water on himself and just ran quickly to the Prophet ﷺ. There's no haya over here. At another occasion we learned the Prophet ﷺ was with Abu Hurairah and all of a sudden Abu Hurairah he disappeared. You know, he just went. And then when he came, the Prophet ﷺ asked him, where were you? He said, Ya Rasulullah, when I met you in the street, I was in the state of Janaba. And I had to go take a bath. And I didn't want to be with you in the state of Janaba. And the Prophet ﷺ said something to the effect of, you know, a believer is pure. So what if you're in the state of Janaba? You can still sit next to me and we can still have a conversation. You don't have to slip away and go take a bath and come back. This is normal. It's part of life. You know, our problem is we don't acknowledge these realities. We go, hush, hush, don't talk about it. Laugh about it, giggle, giggle. You know, behind everybody. And then in secret, watch things that are inappropriate, read things that are inappropriate, and do things that are inappropriate. And let evil happen. And let bad happen. But never acknowledge it. Who are we deceiving? Ourselves. Who are we harming? Ourselves. 
Remember this. When it comes to any kind of you know, sexual relation or sexual pleasure, we link it, we associate it with guilt, with evil. There's nothing evil about it. In fact, when a person does it the right way, what does he get? Ajr. He gets reward. Why? Because he's doing things the right way. There's a website like a garment by Sheikh Yasser Qadi. And it's a whole program, also lectures, videos, in which he clearly talks about these things. Because unfortunately, in our families, these things are not spoken about. People get married and they don't know what is halal, what is haram. Or they associate these things with guilt, with evil. There's nothing evil about it. Just know your limits. And we have to gain knowledge about this. Why? Because we don't get this necessary knowledge from those whom we should be getting. From our parents. You know, there's two extremes. Either we cross every limit. The whole family is watching something, you know, very nude on the television. No limits. Or even if you have your periods, pretend that you don't have and pray in front of your father. Pretend as if you're fasting. Pretend, pretend, pretend. Because if you have periods, you are as if committing a sin. You're not committing a sin. This is part of life. Does he not know what menstruation is? You don't have to openly talk about it. But relax, chill. This is part of life. So we need to find this appropriate balance. Look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes every kind of guilt from here. فَإِنَّهُمْ غَيْرُ مَلُومِينَ they're not to be reproached. There's nothing wrong over here. It's halal. And when it's halal, it is good. And when it's good, you'll reward it for it. However, فَمَنِبْتَغَى But whoever seeks وَرَاءَ ذَلِكَ Beyond that, فَأُولَٰئِكَ Then those whom they الْعَادُونَ The transgressors. Then yes, they are transgressing. Who? Those who are going beyond that. Beyond what? Beyond what is lawful. In the previous ayat, what was mentioned? إِلَّا عَلَىٰ أَزْوَاجِهِمْ أَوْ مَا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُهُمْ So anyone who seeks other than these, then that is, what is that? Crossing the limits. Now there is a question. Husband, wife, marriage, understandable. But what is this أَوْ مَا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُهُمْ You know, we find it very strange that if a man owns a slave woman, can he have relations with her? Why? How is that fair? First of all, remember that this is permissible only when there is actual slavery. Right? Which doesn't apply to us anymore. Remember that first of all, slavery was a major part of Arab society. Not just Arab society, a major part of the world. Alright? Major populations almost everywhere were of slaves. Now, if a Muslim man has a slave woman, then what does it mean? If he does have relations with her, then the child, who does that belong to? Whose child is it? Of the man. And many times that slave woman, instantly her status would be increased in society because she is the mother of the child. Alright? She's the mother of the child. And because she's the mother of the child, whose child? Whose child? A free man. Her status is increased. Also remember that slavery, this is like an official relationship. Just as husband-wife, alright? Or for instance, 
parents and children. There is a bond over there, right? There is a bond. Likewise, two business partners. Is there a bond? You know, something, a contract that is bringing them together. So likewise, a slave and master, there is a contract, a hidden contract that is bringing them together. Which is why we see that there are certain responsibilities that are imposed on the master and there are certain responsibilities that are placed on the slave. So for example, a slave cannot just run away. He cannot. If he runs away, you know, leaves his master, then he's as if committing a sin. The master on the other hand is also responsible for the slave. He cannot mistreat him, misuse him, you know, hurt him, give him more than he can bear. It's not allowed in Islam. There's a relationship over here that must be respected, that comes with its responsibilities and rights and duties. So when it comes to a male owner, female slave, then remember that over there also there is a bond, there is a relationship. And if that man chooses to have relations with her, then he must do so with responsibility. Just as, you know, when he's having a relationship with a free woman, he's doing that with the responsibility, with aqd nikah. There is an aqd, there is a contract. There is responsibility. He's not just lying with one woman and then walking away from her the next day. In two months he changes, you know, five girlfriends. No. So likewise, when it comes to slave women, Remember that this is a relationship. And she belongs to only one master. You understand? She belongs to only one master. The child that she will give birth to is the child of who? The master. He's the father of that child. Her status is increased. She is dependent on him. Just as the other children of a man are dependent on him. His family members are also dependent on him. So don't think of it as a servant and a man is sexually abusing her, and all oh, this is legal in Islam. No, this is not a servant, and this is not sexual abuse. This is an allowance that has been given with responsibility. So what do we see over here? That both of these that are mentioned over here, through marriage or through the bond of slavery, both of these bonds, what do they show? Do it with responsibility. Having sexual relations is not a joke. Being so intimate with another person, this is not a joke. You better do it with responsibility. إِلَّا عَلَىٰ أَزْوَاجِهِمْ أَوْ مَا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُهُمْ فَإِنَّهُمْ غَيْرُ مَلُومِينَ فَمَنِ بْتَغَى وَرَاءَ ذَلِكَ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْعَادُونَ They are those who are transgressing. وَالَّذِينَ And those who, whom they لِأَمَانَاتِهِمْ For their Trusts. Amanat is a plural of amanah. What is amanah? What's the root? Hamza meem noon. Who is amin? Someone who is trustworthy. Amanah is basically anything that a person is entrusted with. Anything that a person is entrusted with. It could be a task. A task. Like for example... Any task that you have been assigned to do recently? Very recently? Okay, that tomorrow you have to bring an incident from the life of the Prophet ﷺ where he's giving charity. So you've been given a task. You've been entrusted with something. I told you to do this with this faith that you will do it. I trust you to do it. I expect you to do it. This is amanah. 
could be a task. It could be a responsibility even. What responsibility? Like for example, a woman becomes a mother. Now she has children. And she is responsible as a mother for her children. The father is responsible for his children. It's a responsibility. It can also be guarding something. Like for example, an object, something that is given to you for safekeeping. You were entrusted with it. Someone trusted you enough to leave that with you. So you would watch over it, take care of it, make sure it's not stolen, it doesn't get lost. And then when they need it, you give it back to them. Like for example, you go somewhere, your friend needs to go to the bathroom, she says, here, keep my bag, I'll be back in a minute. So that bag is what? An amana on you. Your dad gives you his car keys. His car keys. Keys to his car. The car that only he drives. And he lets you drive that car. So as you're driving it, realize that that car is also an amana. The body that we have, who gave it to us? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The relationships that we have, Allah gave them to us. So these are all amanat. Now remember that some amanat, they have to do with the deen. And others, they have to do with the dunya. Some are religious, religious responsibilities. The responsibility to pray five times a day. Complete the fasts of Ramadan. Give charity. So on and so forth. These are all religious responsibilities, religious duties. We have been entrusted with them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered us to pray five times a day, expecting from us that we would pray five times a day. And if we do that, He would give us a reward of 50 prayers. So this is an amana, religious obligation. And some obligations are also worldly, meaning they are from the people. They have to do with the things of this world. Tasks, responsibilities that are worldly. So whether these are religious responsibilities or worldly responsibilities, both, Allah says, they guard them. And not just amanat, also wa'ahdihim. What is ahd? Promise. There is a slight difference between amana and ahd. Amana is that which is given to you. You are entrusted. And ahd is that which you take on yourself. So for example, when it comes to amana, we don't always have a choice. So for example, five daily prayers. Did we agree? Yani, were you there? When the Prophet ﷺ said to Musa ﷺ, I'm not going back again, requesting for a further decrease. No, we weren't there. We had no share in that. But it's an amana that has been given to us. Ward is that which you take on yourself. So for example, a promise that is made with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, a person says, Ya Allah, I promise you, I promise you, that if you help me pass in this, if you let me have a license, then I will do such and such. If you let me have this job, then I will spend my first paycheck on such and such good cause. This is a wa'ad, a promise. You took it on yourself. It could be from Allah and also with people. A promise that we make with other people. Could be a commitment, an appointment. Could be financial, could be otherwise. Whether it's an amana or an ahd, Allah says they are ra'oon. Ones who guard. Ra'oon is a plural of ra'in. Who is a ra'i? A shepherd. What does a shepherd do? looks after sheep that are very independent and can take care of themselves? Can they? No. 
What does a shepherd do? He has to take them in the morning, watch over them the whole day, bring them back, right? That's a shepherd. Always watching. And this is how successful believers are. Attentive towards their promises and commitments. Meaning they take them seriously. And who is a hypocrite? What's the definition of a hypocrite? When he speaks, he lies. When he makes a promise, he breaks it. When he is entrusted with something, he betrays that trust. وَالَّذِينَ And those who, whom they, عَلَى صَلَوَاتِهِمْ On their prayers, all of their prayers, salawat is the plural of salah. يُحَافِظُونَ They guard. They guard their prayers. They guard their prayers? What does it mean by that? That they perform all of them at the right time, fulfilling the prerequisites, performing them properly, so that the reward is ensured. What's the opposite of guarding the prayer? Wasting it. فَخَلَفَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ أَضَاعُ الصَّلَاةَ Wasting the prayer. What does it mean by wasting the prayer? Like for example, a person is performing the salah in such a rush, he doesn't even realize he performed two or three rakat. He doesn't know. He says, whatever, I don't care, just gonna say the salam, says the salam. What is he gonna get out of the prayer? Was that a waste of an effort or an effort that will count? Waste, right? That prayer was wasted. That action was wasted. Why? Because it was not performed properly. At the right time, in the right way, with khushur. So, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَى صَلَوَاتِهِمْ يُحَافِظُونَ They guard their prayers, the times of the prayers, the rak'at, everything related to prayer, they guard it. The wudu. In a hadith, we learn Ibn Mas'ud anhu. he asked the Prophet ﷺ, which deed is most beloved to Allah? And he said, prayer at the appointed time. Prayer at the right time. That is the first step to guarding the prayer. Part of guarding the prayer is also not wasting it after performing it. You know, for instance, we write something and then we put a cross on it. So what was written is wasted. Or you type up an entire document and then you don't save it. It's gone. So likewise, salah is performed and immediately after it's followed by Something haram. So what happened? Good erases bad, and sometimes bad also erases good. If you notice, all of these qualities of successful believers that are mentioned over here, what's the first quality? It's related to prayer. What's the last one? It's related to prayer. Because this is how success is determined. How our prayers are. It matters at the beginning, it matters at the end. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَى صَلَوَاتِهِمْ يُحَافِظُونَ The Prophet ﷺ said, Allah has obligated five prayers. Whoever performs their wudu, meaning performs wudu properly, performs them in their proper times, completes their rukur and sujood and khushur, then he has a promise from Allah that Allah will forgive him. And whoever does not do that has no promise from Allah. Whoever does not guard his prayer, the wudu, the rukur, the sujood, the khushur, he doesn't pay attention to this, he doesn't care about the timings of prayers, then he has no promise from Allah. Then Allah will either forgive him 
or punish him. It's up to Allah basically. It's up to Allah always. But when a person performs his prayers properly, then it's as if he's in safety. He's in security. But when the prayers are not performed properly, then he doesn't have that safety. He doesn't have that security. Because on the Day of Judgment, what's the first matter that people will be questioned about with regards to the haqq of Allah? Salah. And the hadith tells us that if the salah is sound, then the rest of the deeds will also be sound. Meaning then he'll pass the test. But if the salah is not sound, if a person does not pass with respect to his prayers, then the rest of his deeds also he won't pass. And this is a hadith from At-Tabarani. The Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith that what do you think about a person whose house is next to a stream, a river, and he bathes in it five times a day. Would there any dirt be left on his body? And the people said no. He would be clean. This is the example of the five daily prayers. They clean us, they purify us. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِلزَّكَاتِ فَاعِلُونَ These people, Allah says, أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْوَارِثُونَ Those will be the وَارِثُونَ The heirs. وَارِث Who is وَارِث? The one who inherits something. At the end. He gets something in inheritance. So people who have these qualities, they will inherit. What will they inherit? الَّذِينَ يَرِثُونَ الْفِرْدَوْسِ Those who will inherit firdaus. I want you to imagine this. Think of a person who is very, very rich. And they write in their will that one third of their property must go to you when they die. You have no idea. You get a call one day and you're told that such and such amount of money has been given to you as inheritance. You might say, well, I don't have any relative who died recently. No, no, not a relative. Somebody else who made you an heir, who wrote your name in their will and decided that a major part of that should go to you. You might wonder, what did I do to get this? I'm not their relative. But you did something that made them so happy with you that they left a part of their property for you. Even though, technically, you don't deserve it. Why? You don't deserve it because it's not your birthright. It's not because you're related to them. You're not related to them. Why are you getting it? Why are they leaving so much money for you? Because you made them happy. When a person lives a good life, Allah is also happy with him. When a person performs his salah with khushur, preparing for the meeting with Allah, then Allah is also happy with him. When a person is careful with regard to the most private matters of his life, the matter of sexual relationships, sexual pleasure, even there he's mindful of Allah, then Allah He is happy with this person. And Allah will make him inherit Jannah. Even though we can never claim that Jannah is our right. Because who can earn Jannah with their money? Or with their good deeds? Nobody can. Even the Prophet ﷺ said, that I don't know what will be done with me. Because a person cannot enter Jannah except by the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we have to do something to make Allah happy. When Allah is happy, 
He will fill us with richness. He is the one who will grant success. أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْوَارِثُونَ الَّذِينَ يَرِثُونَ الْفِرْدَوْسِ They will inherit firdaus. What is firdaus? The highest, highest level of jannah. Above which is the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is firdaus. Right now, where are we? On the earth. And where is the earth? If you think about it, the Prophet ﷺ, when he went on Mi'raj, he went from the earth, crossed the first sky, then crossed the second sky, then the third, then the fourth, then the fifth, then the sixth, then the seventh. Imagine, seven skies. Above them is the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Above that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And for those, where is that? Beneath the arsh. This is why the scholars say, it's, it's the best guess that they can make, that Jannah, where is it situated? Somewhere between the sixth and the seventh sky. And don't think of the sky as the blue sky that we see. No. You know the universe that we know of? What is that? That is all the first sky. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that we cannot go beyond it. La tanfuduna illa bisultan. We cannot go beyond it. So imagine the size of this universe, how massive it is. The universe that we know of. And this is all just the first sky. Those who have these qualities, الَّذِينَ يَرِثُونَ الْفِرْدَوْسِ They will be taken high up, high, to the highest level of Jannah, Firdaus, هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ They will be in it forever and ever and ever. Forever. No death, no pain, no leaving Jannah. Nothing like that. They will abide therein eternally. The Prophet ﷺ said, if you ask Allah for Jannah, meaning when you ask Allah for Jannah, then ask Him for Firdaus. Don't say, Ya Allah, just let me reach the door of Jannah. I mean, that's perhaps what we think about ourselves, that we'll barely make it to the door of Jannah, given the condition of our deeds. However, when we ask Allah for Jannah, what should we ask for? Firdaus, the highest level of Jannah. For it is the highest part of paradise, in the middle of paradise, and from it spring the rivers of paradise. And above it is the throne of the most merciful. In Surah Maryam, Ayah 63, we learn, تِلْكَ الْجَنَّةُ This is Jannah. أَلَّتِي نُورِثُ Which we shall give in inheritance. مِنْ عِبَادِنَا To some of our servants, which servants? مَنْ كَانَ تَقِيَّا Those who have taqwa. Those who are fearing of Allah. In Surah Al-A'raf, Ayah 43, we learn, وَنُودُوا أَنْتِلْكُمُ الْجَنَّةُ أُورِثْتُمُوهَا بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ You are being given this jannah. Why? Because of what you used to do. You did something. You made Allah happy. And now Allah is giving you jannah. أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْوَارِثُونَ الَّذِينَ يَرِثُونَ الْفِرْدَوْسَ هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make all of us amongst the believers who are successful. We'll listen to the recitation of these verses. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قد أفلح الذين هم في صلاتهم خاشعون 
سَهُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ 